Amen. First Kings, first Kings chapter 17, as we are in the second week of our series, looking at the life of Elijah, the prophet, the life and times of Elijah, the prophet. And if you weren't able to be here last week for the beginning of this series, I would certainly encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. I think it would be helpful as We laid out this series last week of where we were headed in the next nine Sunday mornings together uh, through the rest of this year. So we were introduced to Elijah last week. And Elijah is a man that God wants us to get to know. One of the reasons is because God spends a lot of time in the Old Testament talking about Elijah, but also... Elijah is the most mentioned prophet of the Old Testament in the New Testament. And so obviously when God gives us all these different opportunities to collide, if you will, and come in contact with someone like Elijah, there's things God wants us to learn and get to know from this prophet's life. And last week we saw that God had raised this man up and sent him to a king whose name was Ahab. And he comes to Ahab and he says, as certainly as the Lord God of Israel lives, chapter 17, verse 1 of 1 Kings, whom I serve, there will be no dew or rain in the years ahead unless I give the command. And we talked about why that was last week. I don't want to go into that. But I want to go back and start off with the word serve that Elijah uses there in verse 1. As certainly as the Lord our God lives, whom I serve. And we saw last week that this word has two meanings. One we're going to emphasize this week in the passage. The other one we're going to emphasize next week when we get into 1 Kings 18 and the showdown on Mount Carmel. But one of the meanings of the word serve is to make myself available to God. To literally present myself before God and basically say, here I am, God. I I am here. You use me. You send me. Here I am. Send me like Isaiah. Whatever you want, God, here I am. That, in its very essence, at its very core, is really what Christian service is all about. See, when we think of service many times in Christian circles, we think about what God is doing through us in touching other people through us. And that's certainly a big part of it. But more importantly, from God's perspective, God wants us to see service as the way He wants it to be the way he designed it. And that is, instead of looking at it as God always working through us, is that God wants to work in us. He wants to do a work in his servants while he's doing a work through us. And that service, that if it's just looked at from the perspective of what I'm doing for God and how God is working through me to touch other people's lives... If that's the extent of our service, then we're only getting a piece, a part of what God wants to do. 
Because God wants us to understand that real service, true biblical service, as he has taught us in the word of God, is to be like Elijah. To come before him and basically say, God, here I am. I present myself to you. I make myself available to you. Whatever you want. God, that's what I'll be willing to do. Because God wants to grow our faith. God wants us to help us to trust him more. God wants to increase our spiritual strength and stamina and all that. And God wants to do that while we're serving. That's why, for instance, we think many times as Christians, we're serving God when we're doing what we want to do for God, when we want to do it for God, and where we want to do it. And we say, God, I'm serving you. Because we're involved in some type of ministry or service for God, but we're still doing what we want to do, when we want to do it, and where we want to do it. And God is saying through Elijah today to all of us, that's not really what service is. Service to me is when you bring your life before me, God, and you say, God, I'll do what you want me to do when you want me to do it and where you want me to do it. Because I know that if I'm following you, that's the way I will experience freedom, like we sung about this morning. That's where I'll really be fulfilled and satisfied. That's where I'll be stretched, and I need to be stretched. That's where I'll see my faith and trust in you grow, and where I will increase in my spiritual understanding and stamina and strength, and even where you will be able to bring about healing and, 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 and be able to get me past some of the things that have had a grip on my life for years because I never really was willing to put myself in front of you and say, God, do with my life whatever you want to do. And that's what we see in the life of Elijah. Because we saw last week, after Elijah gave this message to Ahab, what's God tell Elijah to do? I want you to go down to this Kirith Valley, this oasis, And I want you to hide out there so that it's just me and you in seclusion. Me fellowshipping with you, Elijah, because that's what it's all about. And while you're there, I'll provide for you because that's where I want you. That's the place I want you. Remember I said last week, we need to find there, get there, and stay there if that's where God wants us. It might not be of our choosing. It might not be where we want to be right then. But that's where we know God clearly wants us for bigger reasons than we can ever totally understand at that point. And God then says, oh, and I'll provide food for you. I'll send ravens to feed you every day. And we talked about how unnatural it is. Ravens don't even feed their own young. So it was a supernatural provision by God that Elijah was going to be here by this brook, he was going to drink from the stream, and he was going to feed on what the ravens gave him every single day. And then we pick it up in verse 7, where it says, After a while, the stream dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. 
And we know the reason why there had been no rain in the land. Because Elijah had prayed. And God sent Elijah to Ahab and said, this is going to be a rebuke from the one and only true God to you all who are worshiping Baal, who is the storm God, the one who supposedly in their, you know, religion brought rain. Baal doesn't have control of the weather. The only true God has control of the weather. So it's not going to rain for a long time. Now notice something here. I believe that before we were ever introduced to Elijah, Elijah was obviously grieving over the condition, especially spiritual condition, of his own nation, the nation of Israel. And he was probably praying prayers like maybe you and I pray even today in America. God, bring our country back to you. Make, make, make your name great once again. May people recognize who you are. May, may people get serious about their spiritual life again and spiritual growth again. God, bring revival to our nation. And God chose to use a drought and withholding rain to try to break this nation down in order to bring them back to him. But notice something. Even Elijah, a follower of God, was going to suffer In other words, if you and I truly want God to work in our lives and in our family and in our in our community and in our state and in our country, and God chooses to use something to bring people to their knees, do we not think we're going to get caught up in that, too, and that we're going to have to suffer some, too, if that's the ultimate goal? Absolutely, we will. Are we as Christians prepared to go through seasons of suffering if it meant spiritual restoration and revival to our own nation? I really wonder if we're honest, how many really would say, yes, I'd be willing to suffer if it meant bringing us back to God? Or have we even as Christians gotten to a point where we are so comfortable and where the physical and material things of life take precedence over the spiritual that we're really not Willing to go there. Elijah obviously was caught up in the suffering of being an answer to his own prayer. And how God chose to bring that about. And so think about it. Here's Elijah every day watching that stream that God told him to go to drying up little by little every day. And you and I would probably be like, I start seeing a stream dry up and that's my source of water. I'm getting out of here and I'm starting to look for some other stream. But remember, God said, I want you to go there. And I don't want you to leave there till I tell you to. So there's Elijah. He's sitting there watching that stream dry up little by little every day. Until finally then, God says in verse 8, Now the Lord told him, get up now and go to Zarephath in Sidonian territory and live there. Zarephath literally meant and means a refinery. And Zarephath was in the very heart of false worship. It's where Jezebel came from. In other words, it's like God telling Elijah, I want you to go and sit on the 50-yard line of enemy territory. Really, God? Remember, I'm serving God. 
So I'm not going to call the shots here. Because it's not about, I understand service, God, from your perspective. It's not about doing what I want, when I want, and where I want. It's about making myself available to you and presenting myself to you. And I don't totally understand why you wanted me to go to the brook, but I'll go to the brook. And I don't totally understand why now you're sending me deep into enemy territory. In fact, the very center of the worship that I've denounced. But if that's where you want me to go, that's where I'll go. Because Elijah was understanding something God wanted to teach him. That service for God isn't just God working through us. It's God working in us. Because God understands there's more important things here in play than just what I'm doing through you. If, if I work through you, but I'm losing you, and that's true of any of us, then that's not how God wants service to be. God wants to always grow his servants and stretch his servants and increase his servants and, and all of that while we're serving And then, get this, crazy thing. God then says to Elijah, Oh, by the way, Elijah, once you get to Zarephath, I've already told a widow who lives there to provide for you. A widow? There was no one who was more poor and destitute in those days than a widow. She doesn't have anything in either. She's involved with the same drought that everybody else is. And she even has less to provide for me. than God, shouldn't you be sending me to, to, to somebody in power to take care of me? Shouldn't you be sending me to somebody who has great provision so they can take care of me? Why are you sending me to a widow who hardly has two crumbs to rub together herself? But God... I said I'd serve you, and that means I make myself available to you, and that means that you're going to ask me to do things that I don't always understand, and you're going to send me to places that I would not choose to go, and you're going to ask me to do things that if it was up to me, that wouldn't be what I would choose to do, but God, I understand that there's a bigger picture here, and that you have great wisdom into how to grow me. And help me to be who you created me to be. And if this is your path for me, if this is your journey, then I will go. And that's exactly what Elijah did. He goes to Zarephath. He got up, verse 10, and went to Zarephath. And when he went through the city, there was a widow gathering wood. He cried to her. And I think Elijah was saying, okay, this can't be a coincidence. Because there aren't coincidences with God. If God said there'd be a widow there to provide for me, and as soon as I enter the city gate, there's a widow, this probably is the one. So he cries out to her, please give me a cup of water so that I can drink. And she went to get it. And he called out to her, please bring me a piece of bread, literally a morsel, a fragment of bread. She said, as certainly as the Lord your God lives... I have no food except for a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. Right now, I'm gathering a couple sticks for a fire. Then I'm going home to make one final meal for my son and myself. And after we've eaten that, we will die of starvation. 
pretty desperate situation. God of the universe, are you sure you got this right? You promised to take care of me, right? But you're going to use a widow who doesn't have anything to take care of me? Yeah. Because God now is doing a couple things here. God not only is trying to increase Elijah's trust and faith and belief in him and confidence in him, that he's God and he's got this, because the things that he's going to ask Elijah to do coming up, Elijah's going to need to have his faith strengthened and his confidence in God strong. But God is also reaching out to a widow a Gentile widow in the heart of false worship in a place called Zarephath. You see, while Baal, the God that all these people worship, lies impotent in the netherworld somewhere, the one true God is reaching out and going to help a widow in enemy territory. And God is basically saying by this story through his prophet Elijah, I'm the one that can take care of you. That Baal that you worship, that idol, he can't do anything for you. But even while you're experiencing drought, if you just look to me as your answer, if you just trust me, I'll take care of you. Even when things look really, really bad, I'll take care of you. So Elijah had to trust God that God was going to use a person and a place that obviously he wouldn't have chosen to be the answer. And the widow was going to have to trust God through his prophet that, okay, I don't really know your God very well yet, but you know what? There's something about you and this God that, that I'm, I'm going to start trusting him through you and what you tell me he says. And she's now going to open up herself to getting worked on by God as well, because God needs to do a work in her life as well. We're going to see why in just a minute. So the Bible says in verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. I think I've shared this with you before. That is the number one most used command from God to people in the entire Bible. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. It's used way more than anything else. Over and over again, from Genesis to Revelation, one of the things God keeps telling people is, don't be afraid. And in that word fear there is literally the opposite concept of stand in awe of me. Because it's either one thing or the other. Either whatever we're going through, whatever situation we're in right now, there's either fear and anxiety and stress creeping in, or... We are choosing to believe and trust and look to God and stand in all of him. It's either fear or faith. It's one or the other. Even as Christians, in every life situation that we have, we are either choosing fear or we're choosing faith to navigate that with. And God is saying to all of us, whatever you're in, even if it doesn't look too good, like it was with Elijah, I'm in the middle of a drought that I caused (laughs) to try to bring this nation back to God. 
And then my God sends me to a widow who has nothing left in her cupboard. But God, I'm going to keep trusting you. I'm going to choose faith over fear. And because he chose faith over fear, he was then able to encourage this widow to choose faith over fear in his God as well. See, you and I can't encourage other people to have faith in God whenever they're looking at us and we're all anxious and we're all upset and we're all filled with fear. And yet we say, oh, yeah, my God, he'll take care of you. Really? You don't look like you're too uh, stable. That's why we've got to be people of faith who in spite of what's going on in our lives, we're choosing to trust God in each and every situation. Because not only is it going to benefit us, but it's going to bless others around us because they will see that faith. And they can then be drawn to our God through the faith that we're displaying at any given situation. So he says, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do as you plan. But first... Make a small cake for me and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. What was God teaching her through Elijah? Same thing God was trying to teach Elijah and teaching all of us. Put me first. Look out for others. Because I will look out for you. And, And Elijah was representing, in a sense, that to her. You put the prophet of God first before you. You put God's interests first, represented by the prophet Elijah, and God will make sure you get taken care of. See, that, that's why David writes that very powerful verse in one of the most familiar psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and God wants us to so trust him that we are willing to follow him so that it frees us to meet the needs of others, knowing that God will meet my needs. I don't have to worry about who's going to meet my needs. I know God will meet my needs if I continue to follow him. That frees me to meet other people's needs. This principle is found throughout the Bible. That's why even that little boy in the Gospels, was such a great example to everyone around, including Jesus' own disciples. Because he was willing. He was willing as a little boy. And I don't know about you, but I know how boys like to eat. He was willing as a little boy to say, Jesus, here's my lunch. I give up my lunch. And Jesus goes, that's pretty cool, because guess what? Because you are willing to give up your lunch, you're going to feed thousands of people. Oh, and you're going to have a lot to eat, too. Because you're not worried about you. You're worried about making sure that God is put first. And that others are taken care of. Because you understand God's reliable. God's dependable. God is faithful. If I just do what God tells me to do and I am obedient, God will provide for me. And he will do it in some unbelievable, miraculous ways. And ways that you and I would not choose. Ways that you and I don't even see coming. Just like Elijah. I don't see, God, how you're going to use a widow who's about ready to cook her last meal to take care of me. But I trust you, God. And the widow had to get to the point where with Elijah, she goes, well, okay, I'll make you a cake. But if I don't have anything left, uh, I'm prepared to starve anyway. Let's do this, Elijah. Let's do it. So the Bible says in verse 14, 
For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. It's his word. It goes back to what he vows, what he promises. And here's what God promises you, my dear widow in Zarephath. The jar of flour that you have will not be empty. It will not fail. It will not be used up. It will not come to an end. It will not cease. And the jug of oil will not run out until the day the Lord makes it rain on the surface of the ground. By the way, oil and flour were two staples in people's houses at that time. You could do a lot with oil and flour. And God is basically saying, you trust me. It's not going to run out for years. Now, again, humanly speaking, looking at the service, I've got enough oil and flour for maybe one more meal. But okay, God, if that's what you say through the prophet Elijah, I'll trust your word. Because that's what it's all about. See, that's what service really is. Service isn't primarily what we're doing for God as much as it is what we're allowing God to do in us first. Service isn't so much about what we're doing, when we're we're doing what we want, when we want, where we want, as much as making ourselves available to God and saying, God, what do you want? And when do you want it? And where do you want me when I'm doing it? That's service. And that's what God was teaching Elijah. And that's what God was teaching the widow as well. So notice verse 15. She went and did as Elijah told her. And notice this. I love this. There was always enough food for Elijah and for her and for her family. Always enough. Folks, God is always enough. And God will always provide enough. It may not be everything you and I want. It may not be everything you and I desire as far as materially and physically and worldly or whatever. But our God will always be enough. And that's what Elijah and the widow was learning. Because he was willing to serve and make himself available. See... Elijah and this widow would have never experienced the supernatural miracle working power of God in their life had Elijah not been willing to make himself available. We as Christians miss out so much on what God wants to do and what God could do in and through our lives if we would simply, truly serve and say, okay, God, It's not what I want, when I want it, where I want it. It's about you and what you want, when you want it, and where you want it. The jar of flour, verse 16, was never empty. And the jug of oil never ran out, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Because God's promises can be counted on. God says it. It's reliable. It's dependable. Trust in the word of God. That's what Elijah and the widow was learning. Then we get to verse 17. After this, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house got sick. His illness was so severe 
He couldn't even breathe. So she asked Elijah, don't miss this, very key verse in this whole passage today. Why, prophet, have you come to confront or remind me with my sin and kill my son? By the way, the word sin there in the Hebrew really means guilt. So let me reread that from the Hebrew language perspective. Why, prophet, have you come to remind me of my guilt and execute my son? One of the things God wants to do in all of our lives is to truly bring healing. To truly help us to confront something that's holding us back with Him and in our lives that we have gotten hung up on and we can't let go of and it continues to eat at us day in and day out. And God understands something very clearly that many times we don't. And that is that we're very good at human beings at having something way down deep there that exists, that negatively affects our life, but we bury it so deeply that it takes something very catastrophic, very drastic to get it to a point where we're willing to confront it and face it and deal with it. And that's exactly what was happening here. Because what was happening with this widow for years, obviously, was this. Sometime in her past, way back, she did something that she still carried guilt for. And God, being the kind of God that He is, even saw this dear widow, this single lady in a place like Zarephath, and He cared and loved about her enough that He wanted to make sure that if she was open to it, that God could bring healing for this and finally get her past that guilt and have her experience His forgiveness so that she could finally be free. Because He didn't want her to think that every time something bad happened to her, that God was somehow punishing her for what she did in her past. And you and I might not think the Bible is relevant, but can I tell you, I run into many Christians throughout 29 years of pastoral ministry, and that's exactly where they are, exactly where the widow at Zarephath was. That they can't let go of something they've done. Or they can't accept God's forgiveness for some of the decisions and choices they make. And every time something negative or bad happens to them, they think God is up there and He's using this to punish them for that. And God is saying, no. But the only way that you and I are going to be able to get past this is I've got to bring something into your life so catastrophic so distressful that it's going to bring what's buried down deep and is always there eating away at you up to the surface so you will finally face it and where you can collide with my word and with me and where you can deal with this and get past this so that you don't have to spend the rest of your life feeling like I'm punishing you every time something bad happens to you. Yes, her son died. 
And sometimes even as Christians, we think, you know, if I just obey the Lord and I do everything he asked me to do, isn't life just always going to work out the way I want to? And the answer is no. And the answer is, where did we get that idea? Because the Bible clearly teaches us we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world, which means even as a Christian, even if I do everything right, that doesn't mean somehow I'm not going to experience suffering. I am. Because this world is broken. And this world is fallen. And we are fallen, even if we're forgiven. And so we're going to experience pain and suffering. And we've got to learn to present ourselves to God and make ourselves available to Him and get close enough to Him that we can work through and pass some of these things that keep hanging us up and dragging us down and bring real healing in our lives. And that's one of the reasons why God sent Elijah to that widow in Zarephath. She needed to get rid of this guilt. And she needed to get rid of these erroneous views of God and how God works and who God is. And the only way she could do that was to allow her life to collide with God's word represented by the prophet Elijah. That was the only way. That's why some Christians even today and people in this world who aren't Christians, they continue to live in that bad place in their life. Because they will run away from the word of God. Instead of coming to a church like this or other churches that really, you know, give out the word of God and where we collide with it. It's like, I don't want to change and I don't want my life. I'd rather stay in this bad place I am and the misery that I have now and the pain that I go through. Because at least I know what that is. I sort of gotten comfortable with that. If I just give my life over to God and surrender to him, I don't know where God's going to take me. And, and my fear of the unknown of what God wants to do and where he wants to take me is greater than my pain that I'm in now. So I choose to stay where I'm at rather than just give myself over to God. And again, it goes back to fear of faith. You're right. You and I make ourselves available to God. We never know what he's going to ask. We don't know what the future is. We've got to trust. But we've got to keep reminding ourselves of what the Bible says. He doesn't make any mistakes and he always does what's best for us. And anything that he has planned for us and any turn in our life that he has us going through is always for our spiritual benefit. We just got to trust. And so he says to her, hand me your son. Literally the word hand in the Hebrew means entrust. Entrust your son with me. In a sense, God was speaking through Elijah, his prophet, to this widow. Entrust the thing that's most precious to you. Give it to me. I can be trusted. Wait a minute, God. You allowed my son to die. Yeah. But God's the answer. Whether he would have allowed this son to stay dead or whether he chose, as we're going to see in just a second, to resurrect him from the dead, either way, God's the answer. And God's the way through this catastrophic event that's happened in this widow's life. 
Because more importantly than anything else, God wants to meet her in a place where she's never allowed herself to go with God before. Because the walls were always up. The protection was always around. She might have even thought up to this one, I'm serving this God because I've allowed the prophet to come in and live with me and I put him up in my house and all that good stuff, right? No. Because more important to God than all of that, what she did for Elijah by taking care of him, was that God wanted to meet her and minister to her and heal her heart and her mind and get her out of this rut that she's been in for years. So Elijah takes the son from her arms, verse 19, carries him to the upper room where he was staying, lays him down on his bed. Then he calls out to the Lord, Lord, thy God, are you also bringing disaster on this widow I'm staying with by killing her son? Elijah recognized the sovereignty of God in all this. God's in control. I know, Lord, this, you know, if, if you didn't want this to happen, it wouldn't have happened. But he stretched out over the boy three times and called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, please let this boy's breath return to him. The Lord answered Elijah's prayer. The boy's breath returned to him. He lived. Brought back from the dead. By the way, can I tell you? Elijah didn't have anything to go on here. Do you realize this is the first time in the Bible that anybody was resurrected from the dead? It hadn't happened up to this point. So it's not like Elijah can even go, well, I know God did that through so-and-so in the past. No, it had never happened yet. So Elijah's just saying, God... You're the Lord. You are the answer. No matter what this ends up like, you're my answer. I'm just going to go to you and stretch out over this boy. And whatever your answer is, that'll be cool. But I do believe and trust that if anybody can bring this boy back from the dead, it's you. Because you're the Lord. You are the answer. Elijah then took the boy, brought him down from the upper room to the house and handed him to his mother. And Elijah then said, see, your son is alive. And notice this. The woman says to Elijah, now, now I know that you are a prophet and that the Lord really does speak through you. She had come to a greater understanding of God and who He is and how He works because she was willing to make herself available and to present herself even as a Gentile widow in enemy territory by being willing to bring the prophet of God, representative of the Word of God, into her home. And her walk with God Increase leaps and bounds because she was willing to allow her life to collide with God's word. And God provided a miracle. He raised this son of the widow from the dead. But God wants us to realize this today. The word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, every time you read that in the Bible, I'd like you to think of this. Think of the concept of the answer. If you study the term that God uses here to reveal himself as the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, what God is really saying through that name is 
I'm the answer. Whatever situation you're in, I'm the answer. Whatever trial you're going through, I'm the answer. Whatever problem you're dealing with, I'm the answer. Look to me. I'm always the answer because I'm the Lord. And God wants us to get to a place in our life where we recognize that He's my answer. Whether it's taking me out of something, into something, around something, or through something, God is always the answer because He's the Lord. Elijah knew He was the answer. That's why he cried out to Him. You're my answer, God. For the question, you're my answer. Trust in you. Believe in you. Put my comments in. You're my answer. That's the only way I'm going to get past what I'm at, where I'm at right now, is to look to God as my answer. Not other self-help books, not other people, not this, not that, but the Lord is my answer. And it's through this today, this encounter, that God had with his prophet Elijah and then Elijah had with this widow and her son that God is teaching us thousands of years later unbelievable things about what it means to serve God. A question I would leave with all of us today is this. If you're a Christian, if you know the Lord, are you really serving him? Or are you just doing what you want to do for God when you want to do it and where you want to do it? Or are you really making yourself available and presenting yourself to God and saying, God, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. Which means I might find myself at times doing things I wouldn't choose to do when I wouldn't choose to do them, where I wouldn't choose to do them. But God, I trust you because you're my answer. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can look to you and that, Lord, no matter what we're going through, what we're dealing with, what we're confronted with, what's in our way, you're always the answer. Always. For you are the Lord. God, I pray today that for all of us here and all who will hear this message on podcast, that, Lord, Our service and what we call service for you and ministry for you may be forever changed. That our perspective on what it means to truly serve God may be changed by this great encounter that we've viewed from the life of Elijah. Go with us, Lord. Enable us, give us the strength to make the decisions and choices, Lord, that we know you're leading us to make as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.